you. Am I good? Yeah, can you hear me? Sweet. It's, yeah, I can't really, yeah, I can kind of hear myself. That's good. I'd rather not, but. Um, all right, so you guys have been going through Genesis on Wednesdays with Pastor Luke. Um, I've listened to some of the messages and try to catch up a little bit, haven't been able to listen to them all, but what I've heard uh, has been great. If I reiterate anything or go over anything again, um, forgive me. Uh, it might happen. You know, we're in here in the story of, of Abraham. So the, the promise of the covenant uh, continues to come up chapter after chapter. So we might uh, reiterate a couple things. Um, but the Lord knows and he knows what you know, we need to know. Um, so super grateful to be able to, to teach here again. And this is the first time teaching on a Wednesday night. So um, experimental uh, Wednesday night service here. So um, let's start off with a word of prayer and then we'll get into it. Jesus, we thank you so much for um, this time, Lord, to dive into your word and um, to understand uh, this story of this man, God, Abraham. So much has come from this promise that you've made, God. You made this promise uh, to Abraham. Uh, ultimately, it was fulfilled through your son, Jesus, and that's the reason we're here today, God, to praise you uh, and thank you for this, this promise that started all here in the story. God, so I pray that your spirit would, would teach us, Lord. Um, we know um, that you're the one that teaches us. You're the one that guides us. You're the one that directs us. So, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to, continue to speak to my heart, Jesus, and you would just be glorified through this time. We love you. In your name, amen. 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 Yeah, is it, can we do it? All right, cool. Uh, we got a responsive reading. Um, tonight, Psalm 89, verses 28 to 34. I'll read the evens if you could read the odds. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. So um, we discussed as a board yesterday, as we're doing these responsive readings, we decided, hey, let's, let's pick some that kind of connect to the passages. So these uh, psalms and different uh, sections of scripture that we'll be reading with uh, the responsive readings, um, hopefully we'll, we'll give you kind of an idea of the direction that we're going uh, in this section of scripture. So uh, if 
we want to go back a little bit just to kind of get some context and remind ourselves of what's happening thus far. We remember God gave Abraham this covenant back in Genesis chapter 12, essentially said, hey, I want you to leave your father, your family, your country. You're going to go out to this new land and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make a nation out of you, okay? And the people that curse you will be cursed. The people that bless you will be blessed. And there's a lot to that covenant. We're gonna see God's going to approach Abraham uh, several different times in the scriptures. And he starts to kind of clarify the promise a little bit. He kind of adds a little bit to it and gives him some clarity as to how he's going to fulfill this promise because Abraham is kind of messing up the promise. He's kind of trying to make this thing happen on his own, right? And that's what we saw in Genesis chapter 16. See, God told him he's going to make a mighty nation out of him in Genesis chapter 12. Then in Genesis chapter 15, he tells him you're going to have a son. He's like, I'm going to have a son. What? I'm going to have a son. We're old, yada, yada, yada. Then Sarah in Genesis chapter 16, what does she do? She says, hey, how about you take my servant? Take Hagar, the bondwoman. And what happens? They have a son, Ishmael, right? And God's like, no, it's not Ishmael. It's not Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac whom the promise is going to be fulfilled through. And that's going to, what's going to happen here in Genesis chapter 17. God's going to give further clarity to Abraham as to how he's going to fulfill this promise. But he asks something of Abraham here in Genesis chapter 17. He's going to ask him to walk blamelessly. He's going to ask him to be circumcised. There's some things that God wants Abraham to do as a sign of this covenant. And what essentially God is asking Abraham to do is wholeheartedly devote himself to God. See, God gave Abraham a wholehearted promise, and the hope is that wholehearted promise will lead to Abraham's wholehearted devotion. And that's the title of this message. God's wholehearted promises lead to our wholehearted devotion. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 it says, when Abram was 99 years old, important to know for later in the text, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. He says, I am almighty God. That almighty God in the Hebrew is the title for God, the name for God, El Shaddai. Okay, El Shaddai, that's E-L-S-H-A-D-D, AI for you note takers. Um, El Shaddai, there's several different opinions of what this name actually means. Um, El could be referring to uh, the right hand or right arm or the strength or masculine features or characteristics of God. While the Shaddai, uh, some believe that comes from the word Shad, which refers to the breast, may be speaking of a woman's breast referring to those nurturing feminine characteristics of God. So he's putting these two things together. That's what some scholars suggest. His strength, his might, his masculine features, and his feminine nurturing features. Remember, we call God the Father, but that doesn't mean that he's, he's 
uh, uh, just masculine, right? God's much more than that, right? So some say that. Some uh, will translate it to mean uh, God who is sufficient, okay? God Almighty, God who is sufficient. Either way, God introduces himself to Abram this way to reveal to him specifics about his character. See, God, as time goes on, and I heard uh, Pastor Luke talk about some of the different names of God, God keeps revealing different names to, to Abram, and we see that throughout Genesis and to different people he confronts. Why? Because he's trying to reveal the fullness of his nature, the fullness of his character. All these names mean something. So there's a reason why God is revealing this specific name to him. One of the reasons is Abraham can only believe what God is about to say because it's Almighty God who's saying it. So he can trust it. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, I'm Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Because I'm Almighty God, you shall walk before me and be blameless. This word blameless, um, there's many different meanings in the Hebrew. It can mean perfect, uh, complete, whole, honest, devout, okay? See, God, he wants us to be blameless or perfect. That's what he wants for us. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he says, be perfect as my father in heaven is perfect. It's like, what? I'm not perfect. Don't, I'm not sitting up here saying that or claiming that I am perfect. I'm not, but God calls us to be perfect. He calls us to be blame, blameless. His, his goal is and always will be to transform us into the image of Christ. That's his goal for each and every one of our lives. But how we get there is the key. See, God desires us to be perfect, but it's not our pursuit of perfection that makes us perfect. It's our pursuit of God. It's our devotion to God. And this is the first point. Perfection is a byproduct of devotion. See, we devote ourselves wholeheartedly to God and he makes us perfect or complete. Uh, in fact, in Philippians chapter one, verse six, um, Paul writes, we can be confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to complete it. That's one of those words for blamelessness, complete. He's going to make us whole. He's going to perfect us. That's his part. That's what he's going to do. But we have to hold up our end of the bargain as well. Our part is wholehearted devotion to God. See, as I just said uh, before, so often I see in the church people in this pursuit of perfection. And our pursuit of perfection is one of the greatest dangers in the church. Why? Because we get so focused on being perfect and being blameless that we forget or we neglect or we lose focus of the one that's perfecting us. We focus on Jesus and he makes us perfect. 
We don't focus on perfection and become perfect. He's the one that's doing the work within us and what he works in, uh, we work out. So we see one of, forgot to grab water. Could you, maybe? My mouth always dries out, it always happens, and I always forget. I'm so used to having like such blessed servants like Ashley and my wife Elizabeth or Allison that are always grabbing me water. It's something I don't have to think about. Then I come up here and I don't have water. In about three minutes, I'm not gonna be able to say anything. So, getting back to how uh, perfection is a byproduct of our devotion to God. See, our blameless walk Uh, It should be a result of my devotion and love for God, okay? I'm not pursuing the perfection. I'm not pursuing the blamelessness. I'm pursuing God. Thank you so much. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels me to walk in blamelessness. I'm compelled by the love of God. I'm focused on Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, my walk becomes more and more perfect, hopefully, each day as we're transformed into the image of Christ. Bringing it back to Genesis chapter 17, this is what God is getting at. Basically, to sum it up, he's saying, I'm almighty God, walk before me blameless. I'm almighty God, I want your wholehearted devotion to me, Abram. I want you to wholeheartedly be devoted to me because of these promises that I'm about to give you. It's a huge responsibility, okay? Picking it up in verse two, it says, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham for I've made you a father of many nations. See, God is reminding Abraham once again, remember he says, and I will make my covenant between me and you. He's reminding him of the covenant that he previously made back in Genesis 12, reminded him of Genesis 15, brought further clarity in Genesis 16, and now some more clarity in Genesis 17. I will, I promise, I will make my covenant with you. Remember, he just revealed himself as El Shaddai or God Almighty, He's able to fulfill his promise. He's able to fulfill this covenant because of who he is, because of the name that he just revealed to Abram. I'm God Almighty. I'm able to do this. I'm strong enough to do this. I care enough about you to do this. I'm going to fulfill this promise, and you can rest assured because of who I am and the character I revealed to you that I will fulfill this promise. And this leads me to the second point. There's five points tonight, okay? Um, We're not going to like eight or 10 or anything crazy like that. Five. Okay, so point number two, we can trust in, we can trust his promises because we can trust his character, okay? This is why Abram's able to believe the covenant that God made with him because God's revealing his character. I'm El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. I'm able to do this and I want to do this for you. 
in Hebrews chapter 6, we see the author of Hebrews talk about this promise, this specific promise here in the text to Abraham. And picking it up in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, we gain this understanding of God's character based on um, his promises based on his character. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. We can't swear to God, but God can swear to God because it's his name. He says it, I swear by my name. And we know from Exodus chapter 34 that when God proclaims the name of the Lord to Moses, he proclaims his character. What does that mean? His name is synonymous with his character. That's why he reveals his names with so many other names. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, all these different names sum up the complete character of God. So when he says he swore by no greater name, he swore by himself, he's swearing by his name, he's swearing by his character. And look what it says in verse 14, saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, speaking of Abraham, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath by two immutable, immutable things in which is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation to have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. So essentially we see here, okay, God can't lie, why? He swore when he makes promises, he makes them in his name and his name is, is his character and his character means everything to him. So when he makes promises to us, we can trust those promises because of who's giving us those promises, because of the name behind those promises and the character behind those promises. This is interesting. Remember, we just said in Genesis chapter 17, verse one, that Abram's how old? 99. If you remember, how old was Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when God made the original promise to him? He was 75, okay? He was 75. So there's about 24, 25 years that have passed since God made this promise. Think about if God made a promise to you and it's been 25 years. Some of you might be like, I don't know if I'm following the Lord anymore, right? It's like, come on, God, it's been 25 years and you haven't fulfilled this promise. So what happens? 12 years later, back in Genesis chapter 15, he comes to Abram again. He said, hey, don't forget about the promise. I know it's been a little while. One day is like a thousand years to God, a thousand years like one day. It's been a bit, 12 years, okay? Not a long time to me. But hey, this promise that we talked about, I want you to remember, it's still gonna happen and it's gonna happen through your seed. You're going to have a son. And then what happens? They have Ishmael. 13 years later, we see here in the text, Ishmael gets circumcised, he's 13. We do the math. It's been about 13 to 15 years since the last time God in the scriptures that we see has spoke to Abraham. That's a long time to not hear from the Lord. I would freak out. If, if God didn't speak to me for, for 12 
years for 13 to 15 years? Oh my gosh, a little discouragement? Yeah, think about Abraham and what he's walking through right now. But we can trust his promises again because we can trust his character. You ever have time gaps where you haven't heard from the Lord? It's been a little while, probably not 12 years, probably not 25 or 13 or 15, whatever it may be. In scripture, we see sometimes it's because of personal sin. That's what Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 59, verse two, that our sin, uh, when we're in sin, walking in sin, God isn't, isn't hearing us and he won't answer us, okay? So we see that, that that could be a reason, okay? But we also see that's not always the reason. And in Matthew chapter 15, we see Jesus encounter this Gentile woman and uh, she's a Gentile, and she has a daughter that um, is demon-possessed, and uh, she's begging Jesus, pleading with Jesus that he would do something about the situation, that he would heal his daughter, and Jesus pretends like he doesn't hear, and she's like, what? You're pretending? I'm right here. I know you hear me, and Jesus says, I wasn't sent to the Gentiles. I wasn't sent to the little dogs. He calls her a little dog. It's like the word little pet dog, not like a derogatory thing. Um, but he says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And she continues to persevere. She continues to seek Jesus. She continues to ask. And Jesus commends her for her faith. He was silent. He didn't answer her prayer in the beginning. Not because she was in sin. He was trying to produce character in her. He was testing her faith and seeing what she was going to do. He was trying to test her faith, to build her faith. And what happens? He commends her for her faith. The only person that he commends in the Bible for their faith, face to face. He commends the centurion to a multitude, but he commends this woman face to face. See, sometimes God's silent because he's trying to produce faith in us. Because when we wait for the promise to be fulfilled, we have nothing else to lean on but faith and but trust in God. So will you, this is what, like God, I feel like he's asking, will you trust me at my word despite your circumstances? Will you trust my promises even though so much time has passed and it may even seem impossible for me to fulfill this promise to you? Will this timeline, this gap in time from you hearing from you, from me, lead you to a place that you're doubting my word, that you're doubting my promises. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but long-suffering. The Lord's not slack concerning his promises, but long-suffering. We can't, um, when we're walking through uh, and experiencing God's character of long-suffering or patience, we can't look at that character of long-suffering or patience and God waiting to fulfill a promise for some specific reason and attribute that to God's unfaithfulness because his long-suffering or patience doesn't contradict his faithfulness. It's just a matter of time. He's faithful. He's going to fulfill his promises. And we will see eventually in this story, God is faithful to fulfill this promise. 
picking it up in Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to reread uh, 13 to 15. It says, Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, I probably would have fallen on my face too. It's been 12, 15 years, 13, 15 years since I heard from God, and he approaches me and reminds me and encourages me that this promise is going to be fulfilled. Abram falls on his face, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Wait, God's saying your name is Abram, which means father of many, okay? Your name now, at this point, right now, is Abraham, which means father of many nations. He wasn't a father of many nations yet, but he's telling him you're gonna go by this name now father of many nations. He has one son, Ishmael, and it's not even the son of promise, but God says, no, you're the father of many nations. I'm changing your name, not based on who you are, but based on who you're going to become. See, God sees the finished product. This is point three. God sees the finished product. We see Jesus do a similar thing in John chapter one, verse 42 his first encounter with Simon Peter, he says, your name is Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. You're Simon. I know who you are. I know what you're about. I know your character flaws, but you shall be called Cephas. Peter was a mess, but God saw past the mess. He sees what we're going to become and he gives us a new name according to how he sees us and not how we see ourselves. Abraham had to feel pretty uncomfortable with this name. God tells him your name's Abraham now. People know what that means in his culture, father of many nations. Think about it, he just comes up one day, yeah, my name's Abraham now, God gave me this name. Father of many nations, like, dude, you got one son. What? A little awkward, right? A little uncomfortable? I'm sure Abraham would feel uncomfortable sharing this name because it doesn't fit who he is in that moment. But God has a name for each of us. God has a name for you, a new name. And I'm not just talking about the name that you get in in heaven. We know we gain new names in heaven. He has a new name for you right now. See, maybe you used to be labeled as an addict or a liar, or an adulterer, or an alcoholic, or a slanderer, or a gossiper, or a cheater. But that's not how God sees you. God sees past all that. He sees you as the finished product. He sees you as redeemed. He sees you as holy. He sees you as a saint. He sees you as a world changer. He sees you in the image of his son but it can feel uncomfortable, just like I'm sure it did for Abraham to be called some of these names. Holy, a saint, a son of God? What? Are you kidding me? But those are the names that he gives us. Why do we feel uncomfortable, though? Because so often we see ourselves in light of our shortcomings. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We see ourselves in light of 
our mistakes and our mishaps and our past and the things that we've done wrong. We're our own worst critics. We do this thing at Patmos. Um, it's a low, Pastor Chet Low family tradition, uh, but we've taken it on at Patmos. And for birthdays, what we'll do is we'll put the birthday boy or girl in the middle and we'll surround them and we'll all give them sincere encouragements. It's not like a fake thing. We don't like joke around like we're sincere and we tell them how we see them. That is an uncomfortable circle to be sitting in the middle of, let me tell you. Because they're telling you about how great you are and all these good things they see about you and what are you thinking? Dude, I know who I really am. I don't see myself how they see me. No way. They're thinking I'm disciplined and I'm thinking, man, I was just stuffing cookies down my throat last night and nobody was looking. It's like, seriously, they see you as this one way, but I see myself as this totally different way. We're our own worst critics. We often look at ourselves in light of our mistakes, our sins, our shortcomings. But if God sees the finished product in us, then we have to purpose to see the finished product in ourselves. And we need to be confident in who God has named us, a son, a daughter, holy, a saint. And there might even be a specific word, a specific name that God has given you that he wants you to embrace. No more self-condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't condemn you. We're saved by the blood of the lamb if we have that relationship with Jesus Christ and we've accepted him as our savior. Self-condemnation is from the enemy. It's from the pits of hell. That's not from Jesus. That's not from our God. Your sins don't define you. God's grace does. We need to start purposing to see not only the finished product in ourselves, but also in each other. It's so easy to judge and label others based on their sins and based on their shortcomings and based on the things that we see that we don't like. And they're this or they're that. But we have to purpose in ourselves and see them how God sees them, how God's gifted them, how God's equipped them, how God's strategically made them for his glory. And that has to be our focus. Their sins don't define them. God's grace does, and we have to purpose to see people through the lens of God's grace. Now, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to call out people for sin and do it in the biblical way as Jesus describes and teaches in Matthew chapter 18, but we have to remember that a person is more than their sin struggle. If God sees the finished product, we must too. And that's what God's doing with Abraham. You know, man, you're not just Abraham. You're not just father of many, which already doesn't really make a lot of sense at this point. You're Abraham, father of many nations. This is how I see you because I know who you're going to become. Picking it up in verse six, he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations on you, make, it, make nations of you, <laughs> And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." 
Look at all these things that God says that he's going to do. He's gonna make a great nation out of Abraham. He's gonna make kings out of Abraham. He's going to establish this covenant. His descendants are gonna be like the stars, as he says earlier. It's an everlasting covenant. I'm gonna give you land. Look at all the things that God says that he's going to do. I will, I will, I will. God is going to do these things. It is God that's going to fulfill these promises. And after God says all these things that he's going to do, Look what he says here, uh, rereading chat, uh, verse nine and moving on. It says, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. This is your responsibility. You and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. See, God is saying, I'm gonna do a lot. I will do this, I will do that. I will fulfill my promise, but your responsibility is to keep my covenant. The expression of keeping that covenant that God institutes here is circumcision. Now, there's a lot to circumcision. There's a lot of symbolism and um, we could do the whole thing on circumcision. I'm gonna talk a little bit about it. We may talk a little bit more about it next week, uh, but practically circumcision, God says, do it on the eighth day. Why? Uh, because that's when little boys, uh, their blood was able to coagulate so that they wouldn't uh, bleed out from like days two to five. Um, there was the chance that they might hemorrhage and, and die from the circumcision. Uh, the Jewish people probably don't know that, but God does. So he tells them, wait till the eighth day. We don't want to kill these children. You know, um, let's make sure we do this the right way. Uh, the great physician, he says, um, he says, circumcise them. There, there's, there's some hygienic purposes to this, right? Um, there can be bacteria that builds up and infection and all these different things. So there's some practical reasons. The Hebrews weren't the only people that were circumcised. This was actually an Egyptian practice as well, but it's more than a physical medical practice. This, this was a sign of the covenant. You, moving forward, the people that are circumcised under this covenant from the seed of Abraham and everyone in your household, this is a sign of God's covenant and reminder of the promises that God made to his people. But there's a lot of spiritual principles behind circumcision. See, it was a sign for those devoted to God. All these people were circumcised before God fulfilled his promise. So it's an opportunity, it was an opportunity for these first Hebrews to express their faith. God's asking me to do something, I don't really understand why, and he hasn't really fulfilled this promise yet. So it was a step of faith, it was a step of obedience. Essentially, um, there's a lot of depth 
uh, to all this. For time's sake, we can't get into all of it. Um, remember what had just happened in the previous chapter. Um, Sarah and uh, Abraham, they tried to fulfill God's promise in their what? Flesh, right? In their own strength. So now he's instituting this covenant and part of the symbolism is I'm cutting away the flesh. No, Abraham, you're not gonna try to fulfill my promises in your own strength. You're gonna cut away the flesh. You're gonna cut away your strength and you're gonna trust in my strength. This was a sign that Abraham was going to trust in God to fulfill his own promises and no longer try to fulfill God's promises in his own strength. It's a painful reminder of God's promises. It was an outward expression of an inward commitment or an inward transformation, uh, much like communion or baptism. Um, but this is the one that I want to focus on because there's so much with the circumcision again. Circumcision was the removal of the sinful reproductive flesh that kept reproducing itself in your life or in my life. That sinful reproductive flesh that keeps coming up over and over and over again that God says, cut it away. We need to circumcise the flesh. And this is the fourth point. Circumcise the flesh. Remember, he told him to walk blamelessly earlier in Genesis chapter 17, verse one. Now he's saying, circumcise the flesh. For us, spiritually, circumcise the thing out of your life that's preventing you from walking blamelessly, from fully devoting your life to God. Cut that thing away. If it's preventing you from wholehearted devotion, it's gotta go. And that's what God's calling us to. So we know, yes, circumcision was a sign of the Abrahamic uh, covenant, but Paul, uh, he gives us a lot of clarity in the epistles about circumcision. We're just gonna look at two spots talks about circumcision in quite a few places, uh, but let's first look at Galatians chapter five, verse one, after he was just speaking in chapter four uh, about the, um, the bond woman, Hagar, and uh, the free woman, Sarah, and the symbolism there, he says, in chapter five, Galatians verse one, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't be um, entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's referring to the law. And he says in verse two, indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. He's not saying to us, if there's males that are circumcised, you must keep the whole law. He's talking to people that are falling back into legalism and he's saying, if you're trying to be circumcised because you think that circumcision is going to allow you to inherit the promise, the promise really of eternal life, no, it's not working like that. 
It's not about keeping the law. It's all about faith working through love. Circumcision doesn't save us. It's not about the law. It's about love. See, the law was something that you tried to fulfill in your flesh, in your own strength. But love, faith working through love, is something that can only be lived out by the power of the Spirit, which was another promise of God, right? He promised us the Holy Spirit. Now we're able to walk <coughs> with blamelessness. And then in Romans chapter two, uh, verse 25 to 29, we won't uh, talk about all of it. He says, in circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. See, circumcision, it was a heart thing. It was about the heart. God wants us to cut those things out of our hearts that are preventing us from wholehearted devotion to him. So what's the one thing? The one thing, and there's probably a lot of things. There's probably a lot of things. There are a lot of things in my heart that need to be cut away, right? But what's the one thing right now that God's asking you to cut away from your heart, cut out of your heart, that sin that keeps coming up? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's lying. It could be anything. But what's that thing that keeps coming up that God's like, hey, you need to cut this thing away because I want you to be wholeheartedly devoted to me. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. Sorry. says, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. See, God, again, he's changing Sarah's name, the same concept here. Uh, Sarai means um, my lady or my princess. Um, she's the lady or princess of one family, Sarah, uh, is making it uh, more of this plural meaning. Uh, it means lady or princess or the princess of a multitude. Again, God is seeing the finished product in her. He knows she's gonna be the father, the not the father, the mother of many nations. Uh, and he's given her this new name to remind her of the promise. So now every time she hears her name, she remembers what God said, what God's promises were what he promised this family. Verse 16, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of, of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham's pleading for Ishmael for this promise to be fulfilled through him. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. See, Abraham's still stuck in this thing. Okay, no, it has to be fulfilled through Ishmael. Though Abraham had this child with Hagar, the servant, 
the bondwoman, he still has love for Ishmael. Ishmael's his son, so he's like, wait, God, I, I still have love for Ishmael. Can't the promise be fulfilled through him? And God's like, no, I didn't tell you the promise was ever going to be fulfilled through him. You didn't wait for my promise. You did something in your flesh. It's going to be done my way. But because of two things, because God promised that Abraham's descendants um, would uh, spread throughout the earth, he has a promise for Ishmael. Ishmael gets to inherit part of that promise. And also because Abraham's pleading to God for him to bless Ishmael, Ishmael's descendants are still here today. And I know Luke talked about this before. Uh, Muhammad claimed to be of the lineage of Ishmael. Islam uh, came from Muhammad, obviously. So that's the, the lineage. Those people are still here today because God made a promise. And regardless of how devastating the results of God's promises become, God's faithful to keep his promises. He's, and that's exactly what we see him do here. Abraham, when he hears God tell him, yeah, you're 100, your wife's 90, and you're gonna have a son, he laughed, right? He laughed. But this isn't a laugh of like disbelief. This was a laugh of amazement. Like, God, you're really gonna do this? We know this because of Romans chapter four, verse 20 and 21, it says, in speaking back to this, Speaking of Abraham, it says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. See, Abraham had faith that God would fulfill his promise. He just had a lack of understanding of how it was going to be fulfilled. So he's like, God promised this. Can I make it happen on my own? God corrects him. This promise is still gonna be fulfilled. He laughs, again, not out of unbelief, but out of, he's like marveling, like, oh my gosh, God, this is really gonna happen. Pick it up at verse 20. It says, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He'll, he shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with, with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So now he's giving him a timeline. He's, he's giving further clarity to this promise. Then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. I love this about Abraham. He wastes no time. As soon as God tells him to do this, he's immediately obedient on that same day. Remember, this is the father of faith. 
He believed God at his word. He believed God's promise and he did exactly what God had asked him to do. Now, Abraham was not perfect. He made some mistakes, but generally speaking, he's the father of faith because he trusts the Lord and that trust is expressed through obedience. We also see Abraham was called a friend of God. He was called a friend of God. And that relationship was rooted in love. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He also says this one. I love this one. In John chapter 15, verse 14, John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I say. You're my friends if you do what I say. Abraham, friend of God, because he did what he said. But it's deeper than that. It's not like Jesus dictator, do what I say. You better do it right now. No, why is he saying that? Because it requires trusting the son of God to walk in obedience when he asks us to do things that we don't understand. It takes trust. So that obedience, it's, it's rooted in trusting the Lord. You can't have a friend that you don't trust. You're not really friends with people you don't trust, right? Maybe you have some friends you don't trust, but those relationships usually fade away. Jesus is saying, you're my friend if you do what I say because I know, I know you trust me if you do what I'm asking you to do. And that's what we see here with Abraham. That's why he's called the friend of God. It's the fifth and final point. Obedience is a result of love and trust. Obedience is a result of love and trust. Abraham, the father of faith and friend of God, loves and trusts God, and that love and trust is expressed in obedience. He's called the father of faith because he trusted God and obeyed when it didn't make sense. I, make this, I keep making this promise to you, and now this is what I want you to do. Before I fulfill the promise, okay, I want you to circumcise the foreskins of all your family. This is what I'm asking you to do. And Abraham's like... All right, we don't see him like questioning God, like, hey, I don't really want to do this. This, this is going to be painful. This is going to hurt. This doesn't really make sense. He's like, uh, he talks about Ishmael, maybe the promise being fulfilled through him, but he doesn't argue about the step of obedience that God calls him to. He trusted the Lord. And this is where I want to end real quick. Look what happens here uh, in verse 26. The very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael. Abraham was circumcised, walking in obedience, but he led his son by example. We don't see here that Abraham had his whole household circumcised and then Ishmael and then he went last. No, it says Abraham, he was circumcised and his son Ishmael and then all the men in the house. He was the first one to do it, it looks like. It appears in scripture this is discipleship. He's showing Ishmael how to follow the Lord, how to walk in obedience. He's not just telling him, think about that. Ishmael, I'm 99, man. God told me this, but I'm a little too old. for. You're 13. You can handle it. Take care of the rest of the household as well. He doesn't just direct him. He doesn't just tell him to do what God told him to do. No, Abraham gets direction from the Lord. He follows that direction, walks in obedience, and shows Ishmael how to do what God had told him to do. And that's what we're all called to do, right? We're all called to lead our families by example, like Abraham's doing. We're all called to disciple. 
It's the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's not just about communicating direction. It's about leading and showing people how to walk blamelessly, how to walk in the ways of the Lord. See, we talk about circumcision and cutting away that thing in your life that keeps coming up. And a lot of people will think like, yeah, my wife or my son, my friend, dude, this thing keeps coming up in their life and they need to cut this away. Right off the bat, we can think about what everybody else needs to do and what everybody else needs to cut away. But Abraham first evaluates and says, no, I have to cut, I have to do this first. And I can't ask my wife or I can't ask anyone to cut away the flesh or cut away these things uh, in her life that are preventing her from this devotion, this wholehearted, devoted life to God if I'm not willing to first do it and lead by example. So this week I have a, 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 a challenge for you. I should probably stop using the word challenge. Um, I want you to pray and consider, hey, and maybe you already know, most of us probably can think of the first thing right off the bat. What's that one thing that needs to be cut away from my life just this week? What can I cut away from my life this week that will help me have wholehearted devotion to God? And not only that, I want you to consider taking someone else under your wing this week. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, See, the Wednesday night crowd, I know you're the hungry ones. You come for the double dose. Sunday's not enough. Sunday's not enough for me either. It's like you come for more. You want more. That's evidence of potentially a desire for discipleship. So let's purpose this week not only to focus on what we need to cut away, but help someone else, show someone else, and walk them through the area of their life that they need to cut away. Let's make disciples as we see Abraham in this very early beginning um, book of the Bible in Genesis in, verse, er, in chapter 17. We see him practicing discipleship, obeying the Lord and showing someone else how to walk in obedience to the things God has asked him to do. So that's the takeaway from this week. I hope and pray the Lord reveals to you what that thing is, and I hope and pray that you pray that God will provide you with someone to walk through that process with. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for your promises. You're so faithful to fulfill your promises. Jesus, and God, I pray that we would be people that are wholeheartedly devoted to you because of the promise that you've made to us, eternal life. Lord, the promise is already there. We got it, but I pray that because we got it, because we received it, that we would live our short time on this earth wholeheartedly devoted to you. Lord, I pray that you would reveal those things to us in our lives that need to be cut away, that flesh that keeps coming up, God, so that... Um, we could hear you more clearly, that we could uh, express that devotion uh, more fervently. Jesus and I pray again that you would bring people into our lives that we can show um, the way, your way, the only way, the blameless way. Lord, we love you. We thank you in your name. Amen.